Welcome to Weekly Briefing. I'm your host, Christina Bob. We're on the road this week in Detroit, Michigan, talking to witnesses from the 2020 election. On the night of November 3rd, 2020, and as early as 4 a.m. on November 4th, Donald Trump was up over 300,000 votes. Multiple witnesses have told me that the midnight ballot drops in Detroit only had about 30,000 ballots. Yet, Joe Biden made up 450,000 votes to win the state by 155,000. Where did the other 400,000 ballots come from? Or where did they go? How did Joe Biden receive 96% of a midnight ballot drop of over 450,000 ballots, if those ballots even exist? None of the witnesses saw that many ballots come in during the middle of the night. We'll talk to a number of volunteers at the counting facility who discussed their experience, which led some of them to run for office. We'll hear from Christina Caramo and Matt DiPerno to hear about their latest efforts for election integrity. But first, let's talk to Monica Palmer, the Wayne County canvasser in 2020 who refused to certify the results and then flipped and then withdrew her consent. What happened? It's time now for Weekly Briefing. Monica Palmer, you are a canvasser here in Detroit and Wayne County for the 2020 election. You were one of the canvassers to originally vote no, and then you voted yes, kind of, and then withdrew your vote. What happened as far as the canvas here in Wayne County? Uh, thanks for having me, Christina. Um, it was a lot of fun <laughs> in November 2020. Um, it was interesting because prior to that, nobody ever paid attention to what happened to the canvas. Most people didn't even know it existed. So. Uh, we had the election, started the canvas. We have 14 days from the day of the election to uh, correct the returns between the poll book statement of voters and the tabulator tape that comes out of the machine. If there's a difference, we have to figure out what it is and make a mathematical correction. So Wayne County is a pretty large county. Uh, the Board of Canvassers has staff that help us process that. We made it through most of outside of Detroit and Wayne County pretty quickly got into Detroit. Um, day of precincts were good, but the absentee counting boards, uh, we had a lot of discrepancies between the, the number of absentee ballots that were checked off in the poll book and the tape on the machine. So had you completed the canvas or had you completed trying to reconcile the absentee ballots by the time they wanted you to vote? Um, so No. No is the short answer. Um, I, and I had been asking staff all along three, four days out, are we going to get done in time? Are we going to get done in time? Are we going to get done in time? And it was, uh, uh, we're not sure, we're not sure, we're not sure. And um, the day before the vote, the city of Detroit brought a large container of brand new revised poll books to us. So all those numbers we were trying to reconcile to changed. How is that even possible? I, that's a great question. I posed that to the State Board of Canvassers. Um, they asked Daniel Baxter, who's the um, consultant that was helping with the Detroit election, and he said that he did not provide revised poll books. But they did provide They did, yeah. Can you give us an example of what didn't reconcile? Like, what were the discrepancies in the poll books? Um, so if a poll book said we had 400 voters and the tape said that we had 415 votes counted. Okay. Was that a frequent mistake? It, it goes both directions, okay. and it's sometimes it makes sense it, more so in a in a day of precinct. So if if I walk in to vote, um, they write down my my name, my voter ID, and the ballot ID. So you've issued ballot one, two, three, four, all the way through four hundred. Well, if I mess up my ballot and I need to spoil it, they're going to issue me a new ballot. So there will be four hundred and one ballots because I had one that I spoiled and one that I used. But okay. we we're only counting one. So you have 400 counted, but 401 issued. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. There's notes in the poll book when that happens. You write down, Monica spoiled her ballot. Here's ballot ID that we scratched and ballot ID that she used. When you, when you vote in the machine, you tear the, the number off so it's anonymous when it goes in there. Um, and that's fine. That's that's good when we're doing the canvas because you see the notes. What happens in Detroit, there's no notes in the public. Did you ever get to a point where it matched or was close to reconciling? No. Is, and so so we, we sit down for the meeting. The meeting was delayed for two hours. 
And I don't know if that's because uh, the Democrat, Jonathan Kinlock, brought in a stack of Democrat affidavits and had the county clerk staff make paper copies of those for all four of us. Or if they were still reconciling the paperwork. I still don't know, but there was a two-hour delay. We sat down and I asked um, Director of Elections for the county, Greg Marr, I said, Greg, do you have a report for us? Can I see per precinct the pluses and minus and which ones matched and which ones don't? He says, no, I don't have that for you. I will give it to you verbally. So why did you vote no ultimately? So I voted no ultimately because I believe our job as the canvas was not done. We did not make all of the corrections that could have been made. It literally was asking that no vote was asking for 10 more days for the state canvas, state board of canvassers to have the additional time to look through those revised poll books and say, yes, this one was off by 38 and it's now off by two. And what caused you to flip your vote and then say, yes, go ahead and certify it? So after two hours of, I don't even know the word for it, public comment, um, and it's kind That's of- very mild. It's, and, and it's kind of a kick in the teeth right now with what the DOJ is saying for parents at school boards, right? I sat through that vitriol, and now as a mom, they don't want me to tell the school not to teach my kid that she's a racist, right? Like, it's such a, a double standard, it's not even funny. So we go through awful public commentary. Um, one thing I noticed that that was going on during that, I was actually watching the laptop, like actually trying to listen to people because I felt, you know, man, this is a, they're really upset about this vote. As a public official, it's, I should listen to them. Bill Hartman is not the best with technology, but he was attempting to listen as well. The two Democrats were on their phone the entire time laughing. It almost felt like they were texting their friends to get on and, and, and rip me a new one. Um, so after a while, the Democrat vice chair, Jonathan Kinlock, he pulled me aside. He says, Monica, can we go in the back and talk? And he told me that he'd been on the phone all night mm-hmm. from local level up to state level and that he had a guarantee that we could get an audit. He's, what is it going to take to certify this election? I was like, we need to correct the balances. Right. And he said that he had a promise, and I said, from who? And he said, from Governor Whitmer. And I said, no offense, I don't trust her as far as I can throw her. Right. And with tears in his eyes and swearing on his mother's life, he promised me that he had, the, he had it set up. We could get it done. And I said, I want all of Wayne County, not just Detroit, the unbalanced unexplained right because the unbalanced we talked about if you spoil a ballot it's fine we need the unexplained ones and he said fine and so we came back out went into recess he spoke with hartman individually and his counterpart um, wilson individually so we weren't breaking open meetings act Um, and everybody was in agreement that 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 audit of the unbalanced unexplained would get us the answers to correct those numbers which is the purpose of the canvas okay Um, so we sat down for a second motion hindsight's 2020 if we were running by robert's rules of order if i had a parliamentarian there to help me out we'd have realized that you need a motion to reconsider before you can even have that vote but we didn't catch it beforehand so it couldn't be stopped um we sat down for the yes vote, and shortly after that, State of Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson issued a press release saying, I don't have to do that. They don't have any authority to tell me to do that. I'm not going to do it. Um, so it was, it was blatantly obvious at that point that the gentleman that I had worked with on a bipartisan basis for the previous two years had just lied to me. Um, And that also prompted you to attend the TCF Center on November 2020. What did you see? I decided to election night, November 2020, got down to TCF Center about 9 p.m., got there after polls closed. Um, I signed up as a challenger because I needed to get in the room. Um, But understanding as a canvasser, I have no, it's against the law for me to challenge. I'm just there as an observer. So I got there at 9 p.m. I I saw the ballots. being counted. Um, there was a truck being unloaded around nine o'clock. There was an announcement that they had about 129,000 ballots already counted. Big round of applause. They're doing a great job. Things were, things were calm at that point. 
Um, there were Republican challengers there. There were some some people that I didn't recognize, so I'm assuming they were independents or Democrats, challengers there. Everything was calm. Um, around 11 o'clock, they were done counting the ballots that were there. Um, the election inspectors <laughs> were at that point um, reading books, playing on their phones, taking naps, because there was a long pause after 11 p.m. There were no more ballots. I was walking around looking for someone in charge to call the clerk's office. I was like, wow, are we done by midnight? Is this, is this a world, you know, a, a Detroit record? I was ready to cheer them on. And around 2 a.m., um, there was someone who made a phone call, got a hold of Chris Thomas, and found out there was one more delivery of ballots that would be arriving. That, that phone call was made around 2 a.m. So we've gone from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. with 134 counting boards, five election inspectors, super, 600 people sitting around doing nothing, getting paid by tax dollars. Um, and then a truck shows up, 3.30ish. But it, prior to the truck showing up, President Trump had a significant lead, did he not? I, that's what my phone was showing from the Secretary of State's website, yeah. Trump was up by a lot. And how many ballots came in in the middle of the night around two it, or three? It, it had to be around 30,000 because at 9 p.m. we had 129,000 counted. They were counting another delivery and there were only 167,000 ballots counted at TCF Center. So it could so that's not enough to make up the margin of victory. It's not. So do, were there other counties that also had midnight ballot drops? I. I'm really not sure because my focus has solely been there. There's a lot to unpack. Not enough to change the margin of it's, victory. It's not. Well, Monica Palmer, thank you so much for your time today and for giving us the details of the crazy events of 2020 in Wayne County. My my pleasure. And if you have any questions, I'm happy to come back. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. When we come back from the break, we will hear from Linda Lee Tarver, former election integrity expert for the state of Michigan. We'll be right back. Linda Lee Tarver, the former election integrity liaison for the state of Michigan and now an election integrity expert. You've uh, spoken in front of the Michigan Senate as well as on uh, many national newscasts. You've done an assessment of the 2020 election and you watch closely what the witnesses have been saying. What is your assessment of what transpired during the 2020 election here in Michigan? It was a coordinated effort to steal the election in my humble opinion. I know that there were various laws that were broken in terms of the clerks, the Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, and especially in Detroit, the TCF Center, there were some irregularities and also violations of law, blatant violations of law. What were some of those violations of the law? Well, the Secretary of State mailed out ballots to individuals who had not requested one. And the Secretary of State traditionally in past years, and going back to Richard Austin, Secretary of State, who had served for 30 years, no secretary of state have mailed out absentee ballots to individuals. It's just not done. She also allowed individuals, a group called Rock the Vote, to have access to our qualified voter file. That's, this is something I think is really interesting and important for people to realize and pick up because we've seen this in several other states where government officials, the secretary of state in this case, allows a democratic partisan, non-governmental organization like Rock the Vote access to private government data. How, how do they justify that? She did it and she got away with it. At the time that she did it, she allowed them to have access to the qualified voter file to include the last four digits of social security number, our private information, because in Michigan we have motor voter laws. They have our address, they have our name, they have our social security number. So we have a group and an entity that is not sanctioned to have that data and information. The Secretary of State is the chief record keeper for the state who was supposed to protect at all costs the information there. There are certain records that we don't provide law enforcement, but yet we give it freely as a Democrat elected Secretary of State bent on stealing an election, in my opinion, provided this entity who had no right to that data. And could that also be a method to ballot harvest or ballot Absolutely. stuff? Absolutely. Ballot harvesting 
according to the liberal left, is supposed to never occur, doesn't happen. And we know that it does, especially in our urban communities. Last year during the COVID um, scare, it was a opportunity for those who choose to steal elections to use the ballot boxes to drop off ballots. And we know that people were stuffing ballot boxes, drop boxes with 50 to 100 ballots. Right. And we know that that is illegal. And yet that was considered acceptable in last year's election because of, quote, COVID. That's astonishing. 50 to 100 ballots oh, that yes. someone would turn in. Oh, yes. What do you think of the argument that the left has been making that says trying to enforce election laws is racist or that it somehow uh, hurts the black community or the minority community? So I'm an election integrity expert for Michigan, but I'm also following the laws across our nation to look at those. I'm a former Michigan Civil Rights Commissioner. I believe in civil rights and I do not believe in discrimination. I happen to be black and a conservative. I believe in the rule of law and I believe in election integrity. I would not promote anything that would go against allowing people the opportunity to vote. But black folks know how to vote. They know how to get a ballot. And it is reasonable to expect that they get a voter ID and an ID in order to vote. And that is not racist to expect integrity in our election. And yet the left has a ridiculous narrative of expecting that people can just do whatever you want to do. You can just trust me that I am who I say I am. You can't do that on an airplane. You certainly can't do that on a bank. You can't even return clothes at a store without providing an ID. Right. And so we we know that that is not, it's a, it's a narrative, it's a lie, and it's not something that is um, going to stand. People have decided that integrity is worth it. We have laws on the books that must be followed because we have done our due diligence to see where people are committing crimes. We know that there are clerks in Michigan, Sharika Hawkins is one of them, who is under several felonies for cheating in the 2018 election. We've got three people in Michigan that our attorney general decided that in the 2020 election, they violated election law, being prosecuted as we speak. And so we know that the election was stolen. We know that Donald Trump won Michigan. We know that there were ballots brought in at 3 a.m. that shouldn't have been. We know that flat ballots are not um, absentee ballots. They have never been folded. So we know that absentee ballots coming in is, is wrong. We also know that poll challengers were kicked out of the TCF Center. Right. And under the law, they're supposed to be protected. Michigan Compiled Law 168.733 says that these individuals who are poll challengers have a duty and they shall be protected, but they were not protected. They were kicked out and they were put out in violation of the law. Ma'am, thank you so much for your time, your analysis, you. and your expertise. Thank you. Chris Shornack, you were a poll challenger at the TCF Center here in Detroit where all of the absentee ballots are counted. What can you tell me about the process that you observed in 2020? Uh, it was a shocking mess. What, what I observed is they were counting ballots that were illegitimate. And what I'd like the, the public and the American people to know is our election system, it's a pretty good system. If you follow the rules and the procedures, it's great. So how should it work? Well, how, how it should work is, for example, let's say your name is Jane Doe. You have to request to vote by absentee ballot. So you mail in a piece of paper that says Jane Joe, Jane Doe on Main Street, and it's the election clerks that have to verify, yep, it's they're on the voter rolls, they're mm -hmm. on the qualified voter file, and it's a legitimate person, matches up, and then they're gonna mail you back a ballot. With a number on it. Yes, that ballot is gonna have a number on it. Let's say that ballot is number 500, okay? Now, here we go, America. Are you ready? What ballot should Jane Doe mail back? Ballot 500. Right. Is that what happened in Detroit? That did not happen. And it, it, it was an uncountable number, okay? There's 120 voting stations at TCF Center. And I would stand in the corner of four of them. It was like number 88 and 89. It's all in my affidavit. So I just observed there. Now, this was 10 to 12 hours of observation. And... 
I would go to challenge. I'm, excuse me, that ballot number doesn't match or that name doesn't match. Stay away from me. Get away from me. COVID. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not close to you. You're approaching me. And, and they would block me from trying to see the computer screen and stuff. And I'm like, this is crazy. There was just a stack of paper and that they didn't match. And this lady would come around. She was cold as ice. Boy, was she a pro. And she would take them and I would watch her and she would go up to, I called it the crow's nest. Nobody was allowed up there. First of all, there's no place we shouldn't be, not be allowed. Right. And she'd be gone for a half hour. She'd come back with that ballot. She did something up there and she'd come back and then they'd count them all. And I'm like. So all of the ballots that didn't match or were erroneous were counted anyway. Exactly. And it was, you know, after a while, you just get exhausted. You're like, oh, my goodness. And I'm writing it down. And um, it was such a contrast from Royal Oak, where all of their poll workers had identification. Everybody got along. I I came home at 11 o'clock on election night going, boy, President Trump didn't win in Royal Oak, but it was fair. Hmm. Came home from Detroit the next day being like, None of that was right. Who, right. you know, John James ran. I wouldn't trust any election in the city of Detroit. Right. Well, sir, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your experience. All right. Thank you. When we come back from the break, we will hear from Matt DiPerno and Christina Caramo, both candidates for 2022. We'll be right back. Saperno, you are running for attorney general here in Michigan. You've been central to the election integrity discussion here in Michigan. And uh, we were talking about the Republican legislature in Michigan uh, hasn't been taking a lot of the steps that some of the citizens and the American public would like to see as far as really pushing for election integrity in Michigan. What do you see happening and, and why? Well, in Michigan, what we see is uh, at least my role throughout this process over the last year has been to gather information and evidence and provide it to the Michigan legislature uh, because ultimately I believe uh, that the Constitution through the Ninth and Tenth Amendment provide authority to the Michigan legislature to act on issues related to elections. Uh, and so far they've made a political calculation uh, that they're not going to take action regarding the 2020 election. Uh, they're using it more as a, uh, a political issue uh, to use in the 2022 election, uh, and then further on in the 2024 election, uh, uh, the 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 message is that if we get rid of Governor Whitmer, then they'd be able to pass legislation uh, and have it uh, signed by the governor, the new governor. Right, because she's vetoing a lot of she's, it. She's she's vetoing all of the legislation they've put forward. So without with with a new governor, a Republican governor, they would sign the legislation. Uh, supported by the Michigan Republicans. And what do you want to see happen, not just as a candidate for attorney general, but as a citizen and as someone who has been very vocal on, on this issue, what do you want to see happen between now and November 2022 to make sure that your election is fair? Well, certainly we want to see that uh, a, a forensic audit is conducted in the state of Michigan. That's essential. Uh, that's the only way we can actually uh, prove uh, whether fraud happened in Michigan or not. Is that on the table? Uh, well, we've certainly we've uh, proposed that to the Michigan legislature. Mm -hmm. There is some support uh, through some of the Republicans, but I don't think enough support yet at this point. We'd like to get more Republicans on board to push forth an initiative uh, to do that. So, uh, But that's what people are talking about. That's what's important. We want to make sure we have a free and fair election in uh, an election that follows the Constitution within the state. And I've noticed through my travels here and here in Michigan talking to you know dozens of witnesses, particularly from the TCF Center in Detroit, uh, there seemed to be seems to be a lot of evidence that crimes were committed, that there was fraud prevalent, uh, at least here in Detroit. And yet we don't see the Michigan Attorney General taking any action or doing anything to try to enforce election laws in Michigan and ensure that the people here in Michigan are actually electing their own leaders. What would you expect to see from the Attorney General and potentially yourself as an Attorney General? 
Well, certainly the role of the Attorney General is to enforce the Constitution and the laws in the state. And there are laws on the books that uh, uh, involve election integrity. Uh, and right now the Attorney General is not enforcing those laws at all. Uh, one of the biggest problems we've seen uh, in the 2020 election uh, was the introduction of mail-in ballots into the system. Uh, and those mail-in ballots uh, uh, created a systemic problem that permitted fraud to occur. And a, I think a simple investigation across the state would reveal uh, a lot of fraud that occurred. So the Michigan Attorney General right now is not taking that action. She's not upholding the Constitution. And if we don't uphold the Constitution, then the, the citizens of this state will no longer believe that the elections are fair, whether in the past or in the future, and they're no longer going to, to be allowed uh, in their minds to elect their own representatives. And once we have a system created where the citizens are no longer in charge of their own vote, our constitutional republic fails. Right. Sir, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Christina Cromo, you're running for Secretary of State here in Michigan, and you also uh, volunteered to work the election in 2020 at the TCF Center in Detroit and saw a number of anomalies. What impact, based on what you saw, the treatment by Republicans, what impact did that experience have on you, and what does it cause for today? Yeah, it caused me to, to run for Secretary of State. You know, being a poll challenge at the TCF Center, I was there November 3rd and 4th for a total of 37 hours. And I had no intention of being there that long. But when I saw a process designed to facilitate corruption, I witnessed illegal ballots being cast, I witnessed poll challengers' rights being violated, um, I realized that our republic is under attack. Unsecured elections are a state and national security risk, not just a risk, but a threat, actually. They're a state and national security threat that can be exploited by domestic and foreign enemies. And when people think that's kind of over the top to state, who is in office has a direct correlation to the direction of our nation and the fate or survival of our nation. Absolutely. And you and I have been talking for a little while and you laid out a number of pinpointed areas throughout the entire process that you witnessed here in Detroit back in 2020. Mm -hmm. What are those parts of the process that you saw problems with that you think need to be corrected? Well, one at the adjudication table. So as I discussed, I saw two illegal ballots cast, one specifically for Joe Biden alone, and the other was a straight party ticket Democrat vote. First, we need to ensure that we have the adequate amount of people of opposing political parties, more so equal number of people of opposing political parties manning these absentee counting centers and these adjudication tables specifically. And that is something the Secretary of State needs to be on top of because there is a provision in Michigan election law regarding making sure that we have an equal number of people to the best of the ability of the clerk. So that is something that our legislatures needs to work on to tighten up that language. But the Secretary of State can't help with that process because we've talked to so many city, county, and township clerks. And one of the top complaints I'm hearing from clerks is they have a hard time hiring people. So that's something that's critical. So what are you doing as a candidate to make sure that you have a fair shot at possibly winning your office? That's a great question because we get that all the time. People are saying, like, well, if the situation is corrupt, how do you think how that you you're going win? to win? So one of the things we're trying to recruit poll challengers and election inspectors. We need people to man the elections. There is a citizens initiative going around our state right now regarding voter ID. Um, also, the absentee ballot applications cannot be sent out unsolicited regarding the private donations, which there's a, a current lawsuit regarding the Zuckbucks that they violated that not they that Jocelyn Benson violated certain people's civil rights but actually there needs to be another citizens initiative that goes out to deal with the type of corruption we see at the TCF center and also to deal with the corruption we see at the QVF because and some of this stuff isn't just the QVF uh, uh, things that need to be changed per se as needing laws current laws need to be enforced right that, that, that's a massive problem we're having because a lot of these complaints we're having there's laws of the books for them there is a law in, in Michigan compiled law that if a poll challenger's rights has been violated it is accompanied with prison time and a financial a fee so the thing about it is there's laws exist but we lack people in government with the courage and dick and honesty and decency to just enforce the law right. so that's that's a massive problem right. so we need more citizens to be involved in the political process we're trying to get people if you know these high democratic cities go show up even democrats if you know it's a high republican city go show up to be an election inspector because in the state of michigan you do not have to live in a particular city to serve as a poll a poll worker or an election inspector in that city 
So those are things we're working at now, but we need more legislation. That's why in Michigan, we have what we call a citizen's initiative. So the viewers don't know what that is. A citizen's initiative is citizen-initiated legislation. So mm-hmm. you go collect signatures and they go before the legislatures and they vote up or down the majority and it's, it can go around the governor's veto power. Right. So we need new legislation. Christina Cromwell, thank you so much for your time thank and you for, for your me. expertise. All right, thank you. When we come back from the break, we'll hear from many volunteers as well as Jackie Eubanks, state representative candidate here in Michigan, who has canvassed Macomb County. We'll be right back. Jackie Eubanks, you're running for state rep here in Michigan from Macomb County. You have taken it upon yourself to do canvassing and a lot of research into the election irregularities here in Michigan. Tell us a little bit about your process and what you found. Uh, Sure. So I was a clerk's office worker in the election in 2020, and I was very surprised to find um, a number of absentee ballot applications being mailed to our clerk's office from Secretary of State containing signatures that all looked like they were made by the same person. And I also found it interesting that they weren't coming from the person's house and going to the clerk's office. They were coming from Secretary of State, all in the same envelope. So after the election, I decided to look into whether or not the absentee ballot box had been stuffed full of fake ballots. We went door to door. What we found in Macomb County is a 17.6% voter fraud and anomaly rate. 17.6% seems quite high. Break that down for me. What, What does that mean? How many voters are there? How many doors did you knock? What does it mean? We knocked on over 1,200, uh, well, we received t- over 1,200 surveys. We knocked on more doors than that, but you have about a one-third door ID rate. So t- over 1,200 surveys were taken, and we were able to identify um, a number of different kinds of anomalies. Number one, the most common was voting in person. Um, so a person was marked as having cast an absentee ballot, but when we talked to the voter at the door, they you know, went so far as to say, I tore up my absentee ballot. I signed an affidavit at the polling precinct on election day. I went to the senior center or the school or the fire department where I always vote. You know, my my brother, my mom was with me. Um, so that's one. Another one was uh, the, mo- the second most uh, common was that person moved away from that address prior to the election. And I did a, a lot of research to find out where that person might have lived at the time of the election so I can verify that what's being um, reported in my affidavits and in my reports are accurate to the best of my ability to research. And so when someone said I reported, at, or I'm sorry, I voted at the poll, but your records or the state's records were saying that they had voted absentee. Yes, that's correct. And that comes out to 17.6%. What, like numbers-wise, how many ballots are we talking? In Macomb County, my projection is 87,000. If that statistic holds true in Wayne County, that would be 154,000. That is more than the margin of victory just in Wayne County right there. Yeah, exactly. And what about the, the 1,200 people that responded to your survey who said, I voted in person and they're marking me as absentee or vice versa. How do they say that those aren't real? So they claim they contacted those voters whether over the phone or in person, I'm not sure. But I do know one thing for certain. Those those people were never asked to go into the clerk's office and examine the absentee ballot signature on the ballot envelope that was supposedly cast with their name on it. So basically, the they didn't actually confirm your findings. Correct. And they never showed the signature on the affidavits I gathered to the local clerks. So the local clerks are trusting that their records are accurate, but they never looked at the signatures of the voters on my affidavits. So we've talked about this in Macomb County and Wayne County, if the projection holds true from county to county. If this were to go all the way through the state, how many ballots are we talking for the state of Michigan? Potentially 900,000. And how do you come up with that number? So I, I predicted if you do, there were seven, no, I'm sorry, there was like se- over 7 million votes cast in Michigan in November 2020. If you multiply that by 17.6%, you're looking at a 900,000 fake and, ballot rate. And interestingly, you had mentioned that Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of State here in Michigan, actually created an influx of old voters who had been taken off of the voter roll. Tell me about that. So I received a leaked email that current state Senator Ruth Johnson, former Secretary of State, um, she had written it to her other Republican colleagues in the state Senate, and she said, based on her own investigation, Jocelyn Benson went back 12 years and put onto the voter rolls 800,000 ineligible voters. So that, and that's about the margin that you're talking about. Yeah. 
That would account for all 800,000 names. And she even said in this email, that's a conservative estimate. So if if your numbers hold true for the state, it, it would go to show that Trump won the state of Michigan by hundreds of thousands, possibly, possibly 800,000 votes. Uh, that's definitely a possibility based on the numbers we're finding just in Macomb County. And remember, M- Macomb County went for Trump. So what are you know, what does that say? I mean, if it's projected out to the state, how many more Trump votes were suppressed? How many more Biden votes were injected into other counties? Very interesting. Thank you so much for your time and your analysis. My pleasure. Thanks, Christina. Matt and Alexandra Seeley, you were both Republican poll challengers at the TCF Center here in Detroit and experienced some uh, oddities or anomalies surrounding the election. Sir, at the time you were actually a city councilman for Gross Point. What did you experience? I know you volunteered on November 4th, the morning after the election. How did that come about? I received a text message from Marion Sheridan, who is in charge of Election Day operations down at TCF, and she said, we have a problem, we need volunteers. And I put a post on uh, Facebook, I said, all hands on deck, get down to the TCF Center. And um, then my daughter, Alexandra, ended up sharing it on her group of Facebook friends and um, added my cell number to it. and. Um, we had an immediate response and a lot of people came down there. And what did you experience when you got there? Well, it was the first thing that was odd to me was there was this whole area in the corner of the TCF that was set up with refreshment. It had all different kinds of coffee and food. And um, I went over there to get a cup of coffee and I was informed that I had the wrong badge on, that it was only for the Democrats. And I'm like, went over to one of my friends and I said, where's the coffee for the Republicans? They said, well, you got to go out of the hall and go upstairs to our room where we, you know, checked in. And that's where our coats and our coffee and refreshment is at. So that turned out to be significant later on because when they excused us all for lunch and locked the doors, the Democrats didn't have to leave because their food and refreshment was inside. So and so that's an, that ended up being how they were able to get rid of some of the Republican challengers. Well, the only people that needed to leave the hall for lunch were Republicans. And then they locked the doors. And they locked the doors. Allie, what did you experience when you were a challenger there? So when I got there, which I thought was very cool, you had to go and register yourself and you had to sit at a table and this woman explained what you needed to do because I had never heard of challenging votes before. And so she explained the whole process to us and then each person got a white badge and you had to put whether you were Republican, Democrat, whatever. And you would go downstairs and they would have you sign your name and the time you came in. Well, what was kind of odd to me was the first red flag was that we had white, like kind of like a note card uh, to wear. And then other people only had a green sticker with no name tag. So that was the first red flag. And the second was when I was challenging at least 20 votes that they were in the wrong precinct or they didn't match the name or there was this multiple same name. And then when they went to lock the doors, when I was trying to leave to go to work, that I wasn't allowed to leave. And how I was treated and like verbally nasty things said to me. I just, the whole experience was very nasty. What would happen when you actually tried to challenge a vote? Well, in my case, I I went from one counting table to another uh, because I wanted to make sure we had a volunteer at them. And I saw one uh, ballot that came through and the date of birth was like bizarre. It was like 1900 or something. And, it, uh, you know, none of the um, names and addresses were matching up with the voter log or the, uh, you know, the supplemental log uh, for last minute registrations. So... I would challenge those ballots and they kept get put, putting them in a hopper of unverified ballots. And um, I finally, after challenging and challenging and going and getting our supervisor to come over and talk to their supervisor, it was explained to me that those ballots that were going into that hopper were basically in the wrong precinct, which sounded reasonable to me. Well, after a while, I noticed somebody coming by with another, you know, like a cart and just hand grabbing them and putting them in the cart and going to the next station. And I'm like, well, if they're in the wrong precinct, why is he taking all of them and mixing them together? Right. It doesn't make any sense. So I followed the guy and he went all the way to the back of the counting hall. And there was a ta- two tables actually set up there. And he was delivering these uh, unverified ballots. 
and there were a group of people, they didn't have a computer set up or anything, they were literally just tearing the tabs off of them, folding them straight, putting them in groups of 50, so that they could go through the counting machines. So I literally watched thousands of unverified ballots get run through the machines. And then you had also mentioned um, pallets of ballots that you couldn't identify where they came from. What did you say? Alexander, why don't you tell that story? They were in giant briefcases that were metal and they were wrapped in saran wrap or whatever you want Shrink to call it. Shrink wrap, yeah. yeah. And this guy yelled at us one time. He was like, you need to get away from there. And we're like, why? What's the problem? He's like, you need to get away from there or I'm going to get you out of here or I'm going to get the police. And we're like, if why aren't we allowed to be in here? And he went to go take a picture and this guy got very angry. So we walked away because we didn't want to be confrontational. But it's just like, if this is all hunky-dory and fine, why is it such a problem if people who are allowed to be doing their constitutional freedoms not be allowed in certain areas? So The thing that was weird about it too was that you know, you had two pallets stacked as, as tall as we stand with large metal cases that looked like suitcases. One pallet was shrunk wrapped. The other one, the shrink wrap had been cut and about half of the cases were gone. They were filled with ballots. Uh, I was told later on they were military ballots. But when I went over to the counters, I said, where are the military ballots being verified? And they're like, we haven't started counting military ballots. So, so you're talking tens of thousands of ballots that you don't know where they came from, you don't know what precinct. They were claimed to be military ballots, but they weren't being counted at the military table. And they were all the way in the very, very back of the room. I mean, all the way in the back, like where the high-lows were parked and stuff like that. And it was oh. just odd, like what is what is this? They weren't in official cases or anything like mm -hmm. that. And then later on when I saw, you know, the, the footage from Georgia where they had the suitcases under the table, right. it just reminded me of that. Like, what is this? These are not official containers. Right. Well, thank you very much for your time and for telling your story. Okay, thank you. Thank you for having us. Don't go anywhere. When we come back from the break, we've got Don't Be Fooled and my closing argument. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Be Fooled. Biden's Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, refused to acknowledge that the Biden administration has less control over our southern border than the Trump administration. The Trump administration has all but eliminated border crossings and had eliminated human trafficking across our southern border. Human trafficking, sex slavery, slave labor, and drug trafficking have skyrocketed under Biden's open border policy. Mayorkas says, such activities reflect American values. Do you think we have more control over the border now than we did under the last administration? I think we have more control that is consistent with our values as a nation. Okay. Our values as a nation? Sex slavery? Slave labor? Child trafficking and abuse? Using children as drug mules? That is what Biden's border policies have protected. Do you believe that they reflect our values as a nation? Mayorkas' dim-witted and stupid answers should highlight to you exactly how stupid the Biden regime thinks Americans are. No one with any sense of objectivity would believe open border policies reflect American values. Joe Biden signed the disastrous anti-America infrastructure bill into law this week. He ranted for a bit about how 50 years from now, history will remember this as a success. The problem is, people today do not see it as a success. It will destroy our nation. The only way people 50 years in the future will see this as a success is if the Biden regime and their media cronies lie, which is exactly what they've been doing. We also would have to hope America survives for 50 years. At the rate we're going, it doesn't look good. I truly believe that 50 years from now, historians are going to look back at this moment and say, that's the moment America began to win the competition of the 21st century. So with confidence, optimism, with vision and faith in each other, let's believe in possibilities. Let's believe in one another and let's believe in America. God bless you all and may God protect our troops. Now let me sign this bipartisan bill. We need God to protect our troops because the world knows Joe Biden won't. Everything about Joe Biden and this anti-America regime is a lie. They lie consistently. This bill is un-American. Spineless Republicans in both the House and Senate allowed this legislation to pass 
that will strip Americans of our wealth and livelihood. America, our ship is sinking intentionally by those at the helm. This is a sad, sad day for America. We must work to correct our course. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki took the opportunity to push her propaganda that this regime is somehow fighting COVID on our behalf. They are not. They are fighting us on COVID's behalf. Let's not reverse that. And to make her point clearer than she does, Psaki defines COVID fatigue differently than Americans. COVID fatigue is not us all sitting around worrying about COVID and wondering whether it will stop. Americans are sick of our government using COVID as an excuse to control every aspect of our lives. COVID fatigue is based on the decisions our government makes in the name of COVID. Pisaki sidestepped that. We think, one, there's a couple factors. One is people are still, uh, there's a fatigue from COVID. Uh, we see that in poll after poll, in your poll, and many other polls that have come out around the country. People are sick and tired of COVID and the impacts on the economy. We understand that. We're, we're tired of it, too. Right. We're sick of you, Jen Psaki. We're sick of Biden pretending to be president and Harris hiding from everything. We're sick of the mismanagement of our country to the point of destroying American lives. We're sick of the government stealing our money to give to our enemies. We're sick of a treasonous president who takes bribes from our adversaries and launders them through his son. You can call it COVID fatigue. It's Democrat fatigue. Joe Biden continued to push his infrastructure bill, touting how great it is, claiming that it will build bridges, watering systems, and power lines. Earlier in his speech, he said everyone should have easy access to the internet. So he's committed to streamlining our critical infrastructure, just like he did our supply chains. This law builds back our bridges, our water systems, our power lines, our grids, and for better and stronger resilience. So fewer Americans are going to be flooded out of their homes, lose power for days and weeks after storms hit. Joe Biden has exactly zero credibility of improving anything he touches, and this is no exception. Name one thing that Biden has touched that's actually better than when he got it from the Trump administration. I'll wait. Nothing. Joe Biden has intentionally destroyed everything he touches, and this infrastructure bill will follow his status quo. It's disastrous. In a not-so-shocking turn of events, it turns out Biden's Attorney General Merrick Garland lied to Congress, the American people, and weaponized the counterterrorism tools against the American parents at school board meetings. If 2020 and 2021 hadn't been as crazy as they've been, this would be outrageous and absurd. While it is outrageous, it's par for the course for the communists currently controlling our executive branch. Not only did the Attorney General blatantly lie under oath, the worst part is he's actually targeting law-abiding American citizens, parents trying to protect their children. These crazy liberals want more control over your children than you. They are insane. And with that, it's time for the closing argument. Well, America, have we figured it out yet? The media paints a picture distorting reality and trying to make it look like Americans are fighting over policy positions. We are not. Let's think critically about the world around us today. We have a very real shortage of gas causing prices to skyrocket. The Biden regime wants to shut down more pipelines, which would cripple us. There's a very real supply chain crisis. Trucks and transportation companies can't go through California because the latest taxes on companies transiting California would cost more than their profit. So ships float offshore, unable to unload. We are suffering from an education crisis where parents are uncomfortable with the materials schools are teaching. The Biden regime labeled the parents domestic terrorists and told the FBI to investigate. We're told the threat of coronavirus is so deadly that the unvaccinated shouldn't be allowed to participate in society. Yet the Biden regime has opened our borders and is allowing millions of unvaccinated illegal immigrants to invade our nation and give them rights and benefits that law-abiding citizens don't get. Amid the disputed COVID pandemic, we have a health crisis. The Biden regime is firing healthcare workers, the same workers who risked their lives a little over a year ago to save the lives of others. The opioid epidemic and drug war wages on, mostly coming across our southern border. 
As I mentioned, the Biden regime has made it easier for cartels to bring drugs into this country, as well as slave labor and sex slaves. Nothing about the cartels is humane. Every crisis that this nation currently faces, and we have many of them, Biden is intentionally making worse. How naive do you have to be to think that any actions taken by the Biden administration are intended to benefit Americans? Anyone who believes this regime is actually trying to help Americans is either not paying attention or extremely gullible. No presidential administration in the history of the United States has been this inept and this incompetent. The simplest explanation is that their actions are intentional. The Biden regime is intentionally trying to ruin this country. Is Joe Biden himself scheming to strip the United States of its power and wealth? No, probably not. Those pulling the strings are too smart to be publicly known, so they need someone dumb enough to be the fall guy. Same with Kamala Harris. Joe and Kamala are two stupid individuals who were willing to put their names on fraudulent ballots, knowing the election would be stolen and that they would be illegitimate leaders. That's like money launderers finding an idiot willing to let them launder money through their personal bank account. The masterminds are too smart to leave their own fingerprints, so they find a couple of stooges who are greedy and power-hungry enough to take bribes in exchange for being the patsy. In this case, the patsies end up being president and vice president of the United States. Not a bad perk, especially if you believe the entire thing is rigged and there's no way you'll ever be held accountable. Sounds genius, except the two idiots stupid enough to play the parts are too dumb to actually pass as a legitimate president or vice president. They look like absolute fools. Think I sound extreme? Look at them. Do they actually look like the most popular president and vice president in the history of the United States? No, not even close. They look like idiots that got duped into playing a role so that others could control our government free of accountability. The problem for them is this is the United States of America. Americans are rising up and taking back this great nation. We will not be bullied and we will not comply. Find a local organization and get involved in protecting your elections. If we don't secure our elections, nothing else matters. Remember to watch Weekly Briefing every Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, or you can catch my latest episode now on iHeartRadio. I'm Christina Bob. Thanks for watching. Thank you.